Welcome to How to Be an Okay Person. I am Robbie Carlton. I'm Lindsay Chrysler. And we got a show for you coming up. Like right now. Yeah. It's Here happening. we go. Here we go. <laughs> so should I say how this question popped up for me? Oh, so you have a question. What is your question, Liz? <laughs> yeah, why don't you why don't you give a little context? A little context. So I Robbie's going to answer a question on this podcast. And the question came about from, I was talking to my friend Kelly, and she said, she just dropped into our conversation. Well, also, Elon Musk says that the odds that we're not in an AI simulation are billions to one. Uh Uh-huh. And I said, okay. (laughs) And then I said, why does that fill me with awe and relief and also makes me want to die? Hmm. Hmm. That was what I said to her. Like, all of those feelings in the same moment. Uh Uh-huh. And then I think we talked about something else. So then I asked you, Rami, hey, what's up with this Elon Musk AI simulation? Because if I'm in a simulation and I'm drinking these herbs that taste like like crap, basically, and actually are crap because it's feces... Like, if I'm drinking these herbs and I'm just in some simulation, like, this is not a funny joke and I want to know. And then, (laughs) like, I don't really enjoy, I'm not enjoying my simulation and they should, I want the, you know, whoever is the they. And then I got really confused and I just said, can you explain this to me, I think. Yes. And then you explained it and it went sort of in and I, I thought, we need to make a whole show about this because I have so many questions. Yeah, I did the, like, I did the short explanation. Um... Yeah, so so that's the question. So I'll begin by saying you, your question to Kelly, which was, why does this fill me with awe, wonder, freedom, and dread, or something like that? Basically, um, wanting to die. I, wanting to die. Um, I do not have an answer to that. You're, you're on your own there. You'll have to figure that out yourself. Okay. But, I, but what I can do is I can, I can explain why it is that Elon Musk says there is a, a billions to one chance that we're not living in a computer simulation. I don't know how to talk about odds, but it's very, 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 very highly likely that we are living in a computer simulation and um, almost impossibly unlikely that we're not, according to Elon Musk. So I can explain his reasoning about that and uh, and my own response. Great. And can you also just say, like, the basics of what an AI simulation is? Yes, Great. totally. Yeah, Because yeah, 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 yeah. I think I know, but I don't really, I'm not sure. Yes, yeah, so that is that's what we're going to cover in the call today. Right, and and I, I want to begin, and I'll I'll mention this a little bit later on. There's something specific where this really kicks in, but I've been thinking about this question and questions of this sort for a very long time. It's just it's, it has always been a subject of interest to me. Consciousness, the origin of consciousness, how does it fit into the rest of reality, um, and things like that. So this is a subject that's very close to my heart. But when you asked. Part of why I was excited to do a show about it is because I have an unfinished blog article that is like thousands of words long that I have that I just have never finished, and it's much easier for me to just tell you than it would be to write an article. So I get to get the ideas out that way. Okay, um, and I was just rereading it, and it's actually very funny. So I do want to finish it. Good. And is it in response to Elon Musk specifically the article? Yes. Oh wow. Oh wow. It's not like. 
like specifically his argument that's gotten a lot of traction and like press. Yeah, because I've been thinking and writing about this subject for a long time, and then Elon Musk came out and just repeated someone else's idea, and um, and, and, he's I, like and God I was kind of like, so right, and so I was like, uh, now is the time to. To, to kind of put put my definitive position and also because everybody that was responding to him people were not actually landing the point that i most wanted to land so Ooh, was, exciting yeah so the next thing i want to say is uh i have huge respect and admiration for elon musk i think he's brilliant i think that he uh is probably more likely to be looked back on as the if, there, if we ever look back on this period of history and say that there is a single savior of humankind, I think Elon Musk is in the running to be that person wow. because of the work he's doing. Yeah. I mean, he's he is um, addressing climate change in, in a, a way which is I think will end up being much more successful than every other attempt to address climate change that human beings have done so far. We'll see. But I, I got a lot of respect for Elon Musk. Uh Vinay Gupta, who we keep name dropping at some point, I will talk more about Vinay Gupta. I keep name dropping him, but he says that uh, a, a reasonable political system would be just give Elon Musk power, just make him <laughs> the emperor of the world, and mm. it's actually probably going to work out better than what we're doing right now. I don't know about that. There are some problems with that. Well, and also almost anything would be better right now. Sure. Yeah. So we love Elon Musk. Um, Go Elon and Musk. I- also, he's kind of cute. Okay, I'm going to leave that over on Lindsay's side of the street. Move on. And um, and I think he's dead wrong about the simulation thing. You think he's dead wrong? Yep. Okay. And we will get there, but, the, but first I'm going to lay out the argument. Okay. So, so buckle up. I am seated. <laughs> That'll have to do. So the foundation of the argument is in this idea which is called the computational theory of mind, or it's also called computationalism. So this is like the first premise that you have to accept before this argument has legs. And the, and the idea is, it's the idea that um, our minds, and when I say mind, I mean our, our conscious experience of ourselves, right? Like, like you have a conscious subjective experience that's happening right now. It is like something to be you. Unlike if you think about your chair, probably it is not, you don't imagine that it's like something to be the chair, right? So you have a mind, the chair does not have a mind. That's what I mean when I say mind. That's what these guys say when they mean, that's what they mean when they say mind. Um, so the computational thing, and so this has been a huge question, which we could just get into in great detail, but we won't, uh, which is called the hard problem of consciousness, which is why, where does this mind come from? Yes. Why do we have a mind, right? And this is a fascinating problem. There are all kinds of different answers to it. Uh, it's I could totally geek out about it, but we're going to zip past that whole detour and just say one of the answers to the question where does consciousness come from? What is it? Is this computational theory of mind? It's also called computationalism. And it's the idea that the thing that's generating the mind is a certain kind of information processing. So basically, information is being processed in a certain way. And a result of that is consciousness and mind. And so one of the kind of consequences of that is, and another way they describe this, they say substrate independent. So 
what that means is the thing, the substrate, so the thing that the computations are being done with uh, doesn't matter for the generation of the mind. Okay, so for us, the, all the computations which generate our mind are being done by our brains and our nervous system. Okay, so our brain is like a, a organic computer that is um, generating, doing computations, processing information, which is generating our minds. Okay. Okay, you, you're with yeah, me so far. I'm with you so far. So the computational theory says the fact that it happens to be this object made of meat in three-dimensional space is irrelevant. But the only thing that matters is the computations. And so if you create a computer program which runs a simulation of a brain, for example, this is not the only way you could do it, but one way you could do it, you create a computer program which runs a simulation of a brain it just runs all of the physics of the brain, of a specific brain, in enough detail, with enough fidelity, th that you would get consciousness out of this thing. That this thing would become conscious. This, this simulation of a brain would have a mind. It would start having its own experience. Would it be the same as the thing it was copying? Let's, for now, not even get into that. Got Say it. it's not copying any specific individual. Got we it. will get into that. So computationalism is about the processing of information creating the consciousness exactly the mind okay and so if you're a computationalist if you have computational theory of mind then you think there's nothing there's nothing in principle that would prevent us creating a simulation of a brain which would generate consciousness would actually be having an experience okay and and there is um, and it's arbitrary that it's this coiled up skin kind of thing Exactly. Got it. Exactly. And so, and there are, you know, there's always hundreds of different variations of this, but that's the basic idea. And, you know, you can have some sympathy with this because say that a, a, you had a brain, you had a model of a brain that was so accurate that like you had a human and you said to the human, are you conscious? Are you having experience right now? And the human's response would be to say, why, yes, I am. I'm having, I am having a conscious experience. I'm definitely human. All of that has like, Activity in the brain that the maps is a correlate to that sequence of events, right? There's a brain activity that of the of the brain hearing someone say, hey, are you conscious of you having a subjective experience? And then going and finding the answer to that question, finding the details of what that conscious experience is, and then telling their mouth to come back out and say, well, yeah, I am mm -hmm. having a conscious experience. So all of that is theoretically is happening on the physical level. So if you created a simulation of a brain that was accurate enough, there's, why wouldn't it just respond in the same way? Like if it's a, quote, accurate simulation. And so then you have this phenomenon where you have this simulated brain and you say to the simulated brain, hey, are you having a conscious experience right now? And it's going to respond, why, yes, I am. Here's what I'm experiencing, mm. X, Y, and Z, mm -hmm. right? And so what... This is... I'm, I'm steel-manning the computational theory of mind right now. This is the... Um, this is the main argument of like, yeah, it seems like, why would you then say, oh, but that's, that brain is lying. That simulated brain is lying. Right. Whereas the human brain that's saying the exact same thing is telling the truth. Like, why make that distinction? It seems like kind of weird. If you've got these computer minds, that are, these computer simulated brains that are saying they have a mind, why would we doubt them any more than we doubt a human? Okay. So that's the computational theory of mind. Okay. Principle one check with you great 
So, Nick Bostrom is a, I think he's a philosopher or he's a computer scientist. He put forward this argument a few years ago, which is the, the, the argument that Elon Musk is citing is Nick Bostrom's argument. And his argument goes like this. If it's possible to simulate minds, right, to create minds through simulation, then one, then one of two possibilities is the case. Either we will soon wipe ourselves out as a species before we get a chance to doing that, or enough time will pass that we'll start, we'll start routinely running simulations of uh, minds and consciousnesses and whole histories of worlds on computers, right? Like, that that's something that we'll just start doing because it's interesting and it's a good way to do research and, like, you can learn a lot of things as computing power doesn't seem to be having hitting any upper limits. And that's another assumption is that we won't hit some kind of fundamental limit of computing before this happens. But if we just play ourselves out, like, a 1,000 years, 2,000 years, 5,000 years, 10,000 years, if we don't wipe ourselves out, then we'll probably be running all these simulations of whole worlds with, with brains in them that have minds in them. Okay. With me so far. Yeah. Running the simulations like in a computer? Yeah, exactly. And just seeing what happens to the humans in the computer? For example, yeah. So it could be uh, anthropological research, his- historiography, whatever that's called. Uh, history, I'll just say. Uh, like, so, you know, you want to find out, okay, well, what would have happened if if someone had assassinated Hitler before he started World War II, you go back and create... I mean, that would probably be incredibly difficult to do. But that kind of question, you can start to investigate. Like, what what happens... These simulations are really useful for doing science, right? So what happens with these conditions? What happens with these conditions? You can learn a lot. So people will almost certainly be running them in all kinds of different ways. Okay. Um, if you... And so now, if you think about... Um, for every human on the planet right now today how many video game characters exist have existed per human being on the planet right there are hundreds of thousands like in my life like if i think about the number of video games i've played how many different characters there have been even if they're just there for a minute and then i blow them up or i stamp on their heads there have been like millions probably if not hundreds of thousands okay whoa you have millions of video game characters yeah yeah, I mean, if you think about every time you play Mario, you kill, like, a hundred little creatures. And oh, each of those has a life. If you just... I'm counting each of those little characters. Oh, wow. As, yeah, so you just count those. Wow. So if you think about the simulation, the simulations of the future, we might easily have as many simulated humans, if not more. Like, every single uh, post-grad in whatever computational simulation history is going to be running their own simulation of the whole history of the planet. And so they're going to have like 100 billion people, even if it just comes up to today, because that's how many people there have existed in history, as simulated beings. So each postgrad has 100 billion simulated minds that they're kind of responsible for. You following this so far? I think so. You're saying this is, a, this is just a way of thinking about all the different, or you're saying... I'm saying, in the, according to this argument, in the future... According to this argument... In the future, people will create so many more simulations than there are humans. Than there That's are the humans. important point. Got it. 
Yes. Yeah, the video game As, thing, maybe that's confusing. I understand. But that's a way of thinking about the numbers. Like, just yes. you living your life, you have created, like, or you have experienced millions of characters. Of video game characters. Right. And so, if you think about that in the future... Right. Then it's these just people running get simulations, even Right. And, and, and they're going to have all of these simulated minds, okay? Okay. So, so then, y- the ratio between how many real people there are right and how many simulated people there are is billions to one there are billions of simulated people for every real person in the quote unquote real they sometimes call the basement universe like the 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 physical universe (laughs) uh for every person in the physical basement universe there are say a hundred billion simulated minds which are also having experience okay okay Given that, the fact that you are having experience right now suggests that it is, that is overwhelmingly likely that you are one of the simulated ones and not one of the basement universe real ones. Got it. That makes so that, much sense, like the way you lay out the argument. I have some feelings about that, but um, <laughs> but got it. Got it. That's how he made that conclusion. Mm-hmm. Okay. And when he says we are a simulated, like... We, meaning his experience is simulated, my experience is simulated, your experience is simulated, like everybody that we know is simulated because of the odds. Exactly. We happen, we are, the odds are that we are living in one of those simulated worlds. And for whatever reason, but say it's a post, it's a postgraduate student uh, doing his research on on the history of humanity and so maybe he's doing an experiment where he's like what happens if we put like a crazy narcissist in charge of america at the beginning of the 21st century like i I wonder what that will you know like he could be doing that experiment or what if we like tell people in this universe that like drinking feces is like a health benefit right like probably not but like he's doing he could be or she could be doing some kind of experiment like that we don't know what what they're going to be using these simulations for but like that's some silly ideas going back just to computationalism one of the attractive ideas of computationalism and this is where i got like the simulation argument i only got interested in recently but the uh this idea i've been kind of poking at for a long time like how long how long are we talking uh with this one i mean i was i was a i was kind of a devotee of it 12 years ago oh, wow. around that time i was like into this idea i thought this oh, idea wow. is like real and then i don't know when i changed my mind maybe like Nine or ten years ago, I went hang on a second, and I had a I had a huge epiphany, which which changed how I think about this stuff. But the idea is, so here's the idea that if you um if you can simulate a mind and that the uh, simulate a brain and it generates a mind, and that the only thing that makes you you is the specific pattern of information processing that's done by your brain and your nervous system, then you could make a copy of you and run it on a computer and plug you into a simulated world that was paradise where you could live forever. Okay? That makes sense? Yeah. So then I mean, people I mean, we're just kind of glossing over the whole like plugging you into a paradise simulation well, you, but well you would copy the so if you think about the simulated brains? Yeah. You got to you got to give those simulated brains uh, a simulated world to interact with. Right. Otherwise, it's just a brain. 
So for it to have any experiences, you have to either simulate a world or you have to put it in a robot and give it stimulus from the real world. But let's just say that you leave it in a computer simulation. You have to create the oh, matrix okay. for that brain, right? And so if, if okay. that brain is, if, if I can put, if I can copy myself and put myself in a simulated, I, I can simulate my brain such that my mind gets generated inside of the computer, I can put myself in a simulated world and I get to choose what that simulated world is like. Got it. And so why wouldn't I choose some paradise where my every thought becomes manifest and like I live forever and I'm beautiful and strong and everybody's beautiful and strong and we're all having these crazy orgies and nobody cares because there's no disease and we create these incredibly elaborate like mathematical artifacts for our amusement and kind of beautification of the world and we like try out these crazy experiments where we live in like nine dimensions for a while or you know we like switch genders and like like the, like everything becomes possible <laughs> wow got a lot of information about you in the last 30 <laughs> seconds <laughs> like it's literally like it's it's a it's a god fantasy right like you if you could live in it just like a video game right if you could live inside of a video game and you were also the programmer of that video game you could give yourself whatever experiences you liked and it could be as amazing as you liked and you could you know bury it the computers running this with some kind of like uh nuclear power source deep under the earth where they're probably not going to be affected by any wars that happen or any asteroids that strike and so you basically could live forever inside of these machines or maybe you build robots that you can occasionally come into and inhabit these robots so that you can repair the machines and make sure that, you know, or you put them on a spaceship and blast them out into deep space and like that, right? So okay. the, so the idea is, and so a lot of people are really into this idea and they tend to be super smart people for a certain value of smart and super rich people for a certain value of rich that are, especially live in Silicon Valley are really into this idea of that the the there is a, a doorway to immortality which is becoming available to us. Wow, okay. okay. So this is the so this is what I call a techno rapture. The right? techno rapture? Yeah, the techno rapture because it's it's it, yeah. it's exactly the same structure as the Christian idea of the rapture. Yes. Like if I but get it right, if I get it right in a certain way, which is different in the Christian version from the techno-rapture, but there's a way to get it right. And the way to get it right in the techno-rapture is to live at a time when it's possible to download your consciousness into a machine and then do that, right? If I get it right, then I can live forever in paradise and never suffer again. And I won't have to die. I won't have to feel pain. I'll be able to have whatever experience I life in par like in paradise forever so this is the techno rapture people are dedicating their lives to this and people some people are really freaked out that they're just going to miss it that it's going to happen like in a hundred years and that we're going to be the last generation that dies right like that's one fear that we oh. will be the last generation that dies i know super super tragic oh right? and so people do no. like all of this <laughs> All of this, like, uh, longevity culture, a lot of it's about that, like, not eating anything to prolong your lifespan, taking all these supplements to try and, like, reverse aging. Uh, one of the main drivers of that kind of culture is if we can just last long enough, we will hit immortality. Oh. Oh. <laughs> you're having some feelings about I just that. feel like then you're missing your whole life that's happening already around you. Right. So this is we're getting into some of the philosophical problems here. Um, I, like oh, yeah. it stresses me out. Yeah, that really stresses yeah. me out. 
I've I've hung out with these people. It stresses it stresses me out. I mean, they're brilliant. I mean, the people doing this work, and a lot of the this work is like um, artificial intelligence research, right? It's, and and this kind of thing of like, how do we get that? It's interesting. I mean, I love it. It's super fascinating. I mean, I could talk about this for days. Uh huh. Um, but then that part that you said is this is worries me. Right. The yeah. Uh, for me, the main yeah that they're, they're missing their lives, and this they would probably say something like what I'm about to say is is a kind of like uh, justification rationalization. Um, Stockholm syndrome kind of thing, which maybe it is, but I have a suspicion that death is required for life. That that life is the flip side of death, and that without death, you actually don't get to have life. Mm. And there's something about that that just feels kind of like baked into the nature of reality, right? Like everything that goes up comes down. For every, what the Buddha says, every meeting ends in parting, right? Like, it's just, I'm kind of, a, I've got a Taoist streak for sure. And this is like, you know, the yin and yang, they're equally balanced. And you cannot just have more life and more life and more life. It's like a version of that project of like trying to never go down, right? Right. But then how do you, how do you live and go up if you have nothing to compare it to? Right. So philosophically, you and I are pretty aligned about this. Um <laughs> And and they would say that's just because you are you don't believe that it's possible. If you thought that you could live forever, genuinely, you would you would have a different take. Huh? Interesting. Who knows? Interesting. Uh, so, okay, I'm gonna read a uh, Elon Musk quote here. Where actually he's not using the Bostrom argument; he uses a different one. Uh, the strongest argument for us being in a simulation, probably being a simulation, is the following. 40 years ago, we had Pong, two rectangles and a dot. That is what games were. Now, 40 years later, we have photorealistic 3D simulations with millions of people playing simultaneously, and it's getting better every year. And soon we'll, we'll have virtual reality, augmented reality. If you assume any rate of improvement at all, the games will become indistinguishable from reality. Okay. So his argument is games used to look terrible. Now they look pretty damn spiffy. And that's been in a very short amount of time. There's no reason to imagine that it's not just going to get more and more immersive, more and more lifelike. So that, you know, like in Rick and Morty where he plays Doug or Bob, whatever the game is, and he just like lives some other person's life his whole lifetime. (laughs) I don't don't remember remember that. that. They play a whole video game. It's so funny. And then there's like... I can't remember if it's Doug or Bob, but like Doug 2 comes out and he's like, he works in like a carpet factory and like he, you know, you don't remember. Oh, man, I don't remember it's, this. It's so good. We got to watch it again. There's um, so much going on in that show. It is, it is the most action packed show of, of all time. It, it's a fantastic show. But so they address many of the things that we're talking about in different episodes of Rick and Morty. I, if you like this stuff, I highly recommend you check out so that show. So funny. It's just, it's, it's the greatest show on television right now. So the idea is that pretty soon these games will become so immersive and so indistinguishable from reality just if we just watch the trend, right? Okay. The, the problem with this argument, Elon Musk, is y- to play these games, you still need a human mind to plug into the game. 
So you still need some base level of reality distinct from the simulated reality that the mind plugs into in order to play the game, right? Like when I'm playing Pong, I don't live in the Pong world. I'm not a consciousness in the Pong world. I'm a consciousness in physical reality playing Pong that's in a simulated little Pong world. Same thing if I play World of Warcraft today. Same thing if in 100 years I'm playing Doug 3, super immersive virtual reality game that when I plug it in is indistinguishable from reality, except that it's not generating any minds. Because my mind is being generated by physical reality. So that's just my complaint. I just needed to get that out of the way. That's my complaint with that argument of, of Musk's. It does not address the Bostrom argument. Okay. So that's just the warm-up. That's just the warm-up. And now I'm going to say some of my complaints about this argument. Okay. okay. I'm so ready. You're ready to start taking it apart. Yeah, I'm so ready. Okay. So, so the huge assumption of this whole thing is this computationalism. It's this idea that a simulated brain will generate a real mind. And I just want to say that is an article of faith. It's a hypothesis with no evidence. Okay? But people, especially people in the in the kind of sciences and in the mathematical realms, they take that as an article of faith. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's almost incomprehensible to a lot of people that anything else could be true. Because they look through the lens of mathematics. Right. And so if you look at the world through the lens of mathematics, what you see is mathematics. And when you look at a person, what you see is that they are generated by this mathematics. But that's just an article of faith. It's, a, it's an assumption. You know, and to be, to be fair to the people making this argument, they recognize that. Like the philosophers that are talking about this recognize that this is an assumption. So they're not kind of blind to this assumption. But as a culture, that scientific world can kind of become blind to that assumption. So I just want to make it really clear. That is an article of faith. Okay. It's a hypothesis with no evidence. So, um, there's no evidence that that's all there is. There's no evidence that we could generate consciousness by running simulations of mind, of brains. There's just no because we've never done it. The only evidence is that our consciousness is correlated with our brain, and if you give if you damage someone's brain, their consciousness seems to be damaged. Right, that's mm. the evidence, but it isn't evidence that running a simulation of a brain would generate consciousness. Mm. Okay? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you if you accept that hypothesis, the computational hypothesis, you can geek out in all kinds of fascinating ways. It it never ends, uh, and it's fascinating and it's great. And so, and it, you can do weird things with your mind. Uh, there's an author that when I was really into this stuff, uh, a sci-fi author called Greg Egan, uh, who wrote extensively. He explored all kinds of directions about this. Uh, a couple books in particular, uh, Permutation City and Diaspora. Both of those are just like complete head trips on this theme of like simulated consciousness of living inside of simulated realities and stuff. Like way trippier than The Matrix. Fantastic. I strongly recommend you read. Greg Ooh, I might read that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, especially uh, Diaspora. I, I absolutely love. Okay. So there was a time in your life where you were believing this was true this was you were in the art this article of faith like you were you were like yes this is yes. true yes okay i can actually tell you a story about that when i first kind of recognized when i first s- stepped into this worldview 
Um, I was reading a book called The Mechanism of the Mind by Edward de Bono. Really weird, obscure book. I don't know if anyone will know who Edward de Bono is, but he was kind of like a self-help author. But he wrote uh, this book, The Mechanism of the Mind. And I was 17 years old. I was stoned out of my god um, reading this book. And he's basically describing what we would now call a neural network, but he doesn't ever use those words. But he's describing a way that the mind might work in terms of purely kind of information processing terms. And I was reading this book and and I got it. And I got that like everything I'm experiencing is going on inside of my brain. And that like my brain is generating all of this. And I freaked out. <laughs> I mean, I I was so anxious. I became completely disoriented. Like I had like a, a total existential meltdown. Um I and then I had to go to dinner with my parents. I wasn't living with my parents at the oh time. Oh my but god! I, <laughs> I had to go to dinner with my parents, and apparently, I don't remember this, but but my mom says I could barely speak, and it was the first time they got really worried about me, like because I could barely speak because I was so <laughs> stoned. And you didn't tell them. You didn't tell them out. any of this. I couldn't articulate this to my parents at that time. I could not have said I'm having a total existential freakout. You just got through that dinner. I just got through that dinner, and they I, they went home and were like. We need to talk. <laughs> we need to talk. Like something's wrong. Um, oh. Wow. So there was a time in your life where you were like learning this stuff, absorbing it, and you were a yes. You were like yeah. in yes. Yeah. I mean, the first time I was ever talking about it, even before this, was um, 14 years old in geography class. And I can't remember his oh, name. Poor but teacher. Me- no, he was great. He like he loved it. Like he was bored, you know, and he was kind of like the cool, good looking teacher. Like all the all the girls fancied him. And me and my buddy Rod Elm, shout out to Rod Elm, um, we we sat next to each other, and the two of us would like have these long debates with this guy. I forget his name about the nature of consciousness. And wow! About, like, and specifically an argument that I'm going to come to called the teleporter problem. We're going to get there pretty soon. Um, but like, I'm variations on that. Uh-huh. So. So, yes, there was a time when I was totally bought in, and then something happened okay. later, which I guess I'll say now. Um, at some point, it, I crossed this threshold, and I recognized what's called the hard problem of consciousness, which we've, we've talked about. But, it, but I, I kind of had an experiential recognition of it, which was that um, there is no description in the language of science which will be a satisfying explanation for consciousness Mm. descriptions of the material world and activities in the material world will never and this is an article of faith for me based on this profound epiphany i just kind of saw it and i was like oh my mind is not amenable to reduction to a description of physical processes Mm. it's just a different thing Mm. it's different and we can never describe it. And then that sent me on a whole other road. Very soon after that, I came across Ken Wilber, who says the exact say. same thing. Right. Ken says the exact same thing. Here we and go. He maps, he maps it out in a really satisfying way. He has the quadrants. And we're not going to talk about all of that. But he kind of had like a much more elaborate map of, of that fundamental realization that I had sitting on a train. I, I, I don't remember where I was going or what, but I definitely have a picture of sitting on a train, journaling, and my brain just going and for me it was such a relief that's i feel relieved hearing it i feel like expanded like everything just gets more expansive and possible and beautiful yes there's just a mystery that we will never solve (laughs) and it's funny me and michael pocelli uh our, our good friend um argue about this 
constantly. I mean, every time we hang out, we argue about this in really? some way or another. Yes, every single time. He argues he, for the other side? He's on the he, other side? He thinks... He has a different position. I'm not going to get into okay, we're not what get our into argument that. goes. But he he does not have the deep intuition that I have that uh, mind will never be explained by by mathematics okay. or science or that kind of... Yeah, he does not have that. He's more, way more agnostic about that. Okay. Okay, so there's this huge assumption of computationalism. And so uh, there's a couple things. This is, so first I'm going to attack the techno-rapture version, and then I'm going to attack the computational version, the okay. kind of more basic and the, the Nick Bostrom thing. So this argument that I'm about to make doesn't particularly address the Nick Bostrom one, but it does address the techno-rapture. Okay, so it's called the teleporter problem. Okay, and this is uh, originally formulated by a guy called Derek Parfit in a book called Reasons and Persons, which I just started reading, um, and it's incredibly dense. Um, but but the, I, the... I will not be reading that book. <laughs> it's really difficult. Nope. I'm reading Ked Wilbur in this lifetime, and that's yeah, that's it. Unless there's something in 20 years that I could read. Okay, go ahead. So Derek Parfit in, in Reasons and Persons uh, presents his argument, the teleporter problem. And so here's how it goes. I actually, this was the thing that I was talking about with my geography teacher. CGP Gray also made a video about this. So uh, we'll link the CGP Gray video about the teleporter problem because he explains it as well as anybody could because he's just damn good at what he does. Um, but here's the teleporter problem. So do you know the idea of a teleporter in Star Trek, for example? You've seen Star Trek. Um, that's the ones with the fingers? Yes. Yep, I've seen it. So, you know when they say, beam me up? Yeah, yep, yep, I know about that. They stand on the device and then it, they go away. Exactly, it sends them somewhere else. Yep, right. I know about that. Okay, so that's called a transporter or in, uh, teleporter, teletransporter, they call it different things. I'm going to call it a transporter because that's what they call it in Star, in Star Trek. So, the way that that's supposed to work, the idea of that is that the machine on one end scans all of the molecules of your body and finds exactly where they all are relative to each other, like the whole structure of your whole body, makes a copy of that information, beams that information to another te teleporter that's somewhere else, another transporter that's somewhere else, which can then reconstitute all of the matter of your body in this other place, and then there you are. Okay. okay? So, that's, so that's the basic idea of that. Uh, if all you are is a collection of atoms and your this consciousness freaks is, me out. Yeah, what's freaking you out? Just it's just like I get like chills in my body and I like my face feels weird every time we talk about one of these pieces. <laughs> Good. Yeah. So that's that's basically how it works. The tr the transporter and it kind of makes sense, right? If all you are is a body that's made if out all of you are. molecules. Yeah, if all right. you are. Right, there you go. So there's that assumption again. Right. If all you if are, if we're just body, copying meat to meat, right, then the meat on the other end is going to be you, right? Same, same meat. Yep. Okay. So here's the problem with that. But what about the soul of the meat? Okay. Well, here's well, here's how you get back to the soul of the meat. So in in the in the transporter example, while you are scanning the body on the on the sending end, you also dematerialize it right they kind of they turn into shimmering light and then they're gone and then the information gets sent to the other end where they are materialized by new atoms right they don't send the atoms they get new atoms on the other end to build you out of there's no logical necessity 
in that process for you to dematerialize the person on the sending end. You could just make a copy, send the copy to the other transporter room, and then they would make a new copy of you made out of meat on Mars, say, while you're still on Earth on the, on the transporter. Then there's two copies of you, but they're not having the same experience. They're not both you. And so one of you is walking around on Earth and the other is walking around on Mars, but you both have the memory of stepping onto that transport. That's the same for both of you. And then after that, you have different memories and you're, I mean, clearly different people, right? Like, you, and if you met each other, you could have a conversation. One of you could kill the other one and that would be illegal, right? Like you become separate identities, separate people. So every time someone's stepping into a transporter, they're actually committing suicide. From their subjective experience, the last thing they'll experience is stepping into that transporter and then being dematerialized. Oh. Someone else will have an experience of materializing somewhere else and being like, here I am. It's been me all along because they have a memory of stepping into the transporter. So for them, they never, they feel like they, they survive fine. But every single time you step in, one person dies and a new person is born. How's that? Almost. Okay. Almost. I mean, just imagine yourself. So imagine Yeah, no, yourself. that's what I'm doing. I'm literally yeah. like pretending that I'm on the thing and the machine is starting to scan my head. And as the machine scans my head, no more head. Mm-hmm. Right. No more heart, no more stomach. Like, it all goes away. Right. Now, if I knew that I was going on the other side... Well, you know that someone with the same body as you and the same memories as you is going on the other side. Like, let's say, let's, uh, let me give you a slightly different, easier way to imagine it. Imagine that they don't, uh, there's no dematerialization, okay. right? The way that they do it is they put you to sleep. So you're asleep. They scan your body. They send that information over to Mars where they build a new body. And then they just burn the sleeping body. Because that's no no longer useful, right? They burn that sleeping body because it's because it, you know it's exactly the same thing as dematerializing the body. Same thing. The dematerializing just makes it pretty. But what they're doing every time someone steps is onto the transporter is deleting that body, is killing it and destroying it. But right? then don't they come back? Don't they transport always back for the show? Well, that's just but that's just going the. It's the same thing going in the other way. So. So then they just died again when they're leaving the planet to go back to the spaceship. They just, the one that had a very short life on the planet dies and then a new one is born on the spaceship. So imagine being you and you go, okay, I'm going to take my trip to Mars. You I'm going to go to the transporter room. I've got, you go to the transporter room. They give you an injection. You go to sleep. You're expecting to wake up in Mars. Some, a version of you wakes up in Mars that has the memory of all of that happening, wakes up in Mars and like, great, here I am in Mars. But say the other version of you something went wrong with the anesthetic and you wake up and you're still on earth and they say, oh, shit, we made a mistake with the anesthetic, but we have to kill you now. <laughs> because they, we're only legally allowed to have one copy of a single individual in reality at a time and there's a copy of you on Mars already and that's the legitimate one. You are an illegitimate version of yourself that we accidentally didn't keep anesthetized before we killed so now we have to kill you. What are you going to say? Like, oh, that's fine because I, I already exist on Mars. No. no, you're, no. Be, you're here now. So you kind of want to be here now. I still can't get over the fact, though, that like when they put you to sleep, you go do this other thing and then you are going to come back. Like, 
you they press pause on you, but then they what press if you play. never what if you never come back? What if it's a one way trip just because you're just going only one way? Well, then I would never agree to go to sleep. But you but but they but when you come back, it's another copy again. Like you kill the they dematerialize the one that leaves, and then they dematerialize the one that's coming back, and the one that comes back because they have to remake it again when it comes exactly, back. Out they have to remake brand it. new stuff. They don't just they, send. They don't pause you while they send a copy of you and then wake you back up. That's not how it works. They dematerialize you. They get rid of you, copy you over there, then they get rid of you, copy you over here. So it's not the same you. Exactly. Times two. Okay, okay. I want to get back okay. to the techno rapture. Got it. So the same exact argument just dismantles the techno rapture. Okay, so here's the exact same thing. If you're going to download your consciousness into a machine, what does that mean? You go to the downloading clinic and you lie down in a chair and they put an apparatus on your brain, scans all of the information of your brain, starts running a simulation of you in the simulated wonderland, and there you are still lying on the couch in the clinic. Meanwhile, another version of you is now living in simulated wonderland who is probably real pleased that they get to live in simulated wonderland, but it's not you you're still just lying there on the chair. There's no transfer of consciousness. There's just a copying of consciousness. So even if computationalism is true, the techno-rapture is not actually possible. You will still die because you live in a, conscious, in a physical body. And you could have a copy of yourself live forever in the techno-rapture, but it's not going to be you. You still got to get up out of that chair and live the rest of your life. And at some point, this physical body will die, at which point your consciousness will do whatever consciousnesses do when physical bodies die. Uh, but it will not be in the techno-rapture world because that's just a copy, right? So by the exact same argument, like say they put you to sleep, they're like, okay, we're going to download you into the machine. And what they do is they put you to sleep, they scan your brain, and then once your brain is copied into the techno-rapture land, they burn the original body. They destroy the original body before it wakes up. Same exact thing. What if they fucked up the anesthetic and you wake up and they're like, we already scanned you, so that version of you is in techno-rapture, they think that the version of you in Technorapture has the experience that they went to the clinic and then the next thing they were in heaven. But you are just lying on the chair with some guy saying, well, do you, do you want us to put you back to sleep and burn you? Or do you want to go on with your life and then you'll die in 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years like a normal person? But it's just the same thing. So the Technorapture is not uh, an escape from death. Okay, that's the teleporter problem. Okay. How you doing? Good. Okay, you got room for one more? Yep. All right, so this is a variation of the Chinese room argument. And this is my kind of main argument because it, there's some way that like the computationalist argument is, it's a little outside of science, potentially, or not, or we don't know. But this article of faith of computationalism, I don't have like a way to refute it. I, the only refutation I have is like, what's called um, argument by incredulity. It just doesn't make sense to me. And so I feel incredulous about it. And that's my argument. But I will, I'll give you like the thought experiment, which most illustrates to me how it doesn't make sense to me. So here's, here's how it goes. Um, if, if you have a simulation of a brain, it generates a mind. That's the computationalist argument. If you... Um, so a simulation is just a computer program. And a computer program is, is just a really long, complicated set of instructions about 
doing transformations on numbers, changing this number to this, adding this to this, storing this over here. That's all a computer program is. It's just, it's, just a, it's just a really long, complicated list of instructions about what to do with a bunch of numbers. Crazy, okay? yep. Um, so there's zero theoretical reason why you couldn't, if you had this computer program that simulates a brain that supposedly generates consciousness, why you couldn't create a version of that exact same computer program uh, which was designed to be carried out by a human being. And so this, so this, this human being, this terribly miserable clerk, would sit in this room with this big manual and a big piece of paper, and he would just read through the instructions, and it would say, if you know, if the number in column seven is higher than the number in column six, turn to page thirty-four. Otherwise, turn to page thirty-five. On page thirty-five, it says, okay, take the number in column. 2083 and add it to right like that's what he's doing that's what a computer program does so there's this man in this room at like one millionth the speed of the computer programmer if not of the computer program if not slower running the program he's running the program at incredibly slow speed in this room okay um, according to the computational argument a mind is being generated out of that just this guy sat there doing a specific set of transformations with these numbers, following these instructions, is somehow generating a mind. The mind would be running at one millionth the speed of, of reality in a certain way. And that, to me, it doesn't... It just... Mm. It doesn't work. It just, like, defies some basic understanding of what a mind is to me. And again, like I said, this is an argument by incredulity that I don't have anything more grounded than that except this deep intuition that our minds are somehow embedded and in time and space and that you cannot separate them out into this abstract algorithmic thing okay last thought okay <laughs> the matrix right the idea of the matrix is you have these bodies and you plug them into a simulated reality yes the movie the matrix yeah. right they're, they're real people in a real world that have been plugged into the simulated reality that I have no theoretical objection to. I think that could potentially happen. The technology could get sophisticated enough. It's like the Elon Musk thing. Video games will get sophisticated enough that we live in a, we can enter virtual reality indistinguishable from our own. Um, but you still need a human body to enter the virtual reality. And in the Matrix, they have human bodies entering the virtual reality. That's totally plausible. I don't know if the technology will ever get there. We might wipe ourselves out. There might be some theoretical limit we haven't hit yet, but... But I see no basic objection to that. And but with the, that one, when the when the physical human body ages to the point of death, then they die and they right. unplug from the simulation and it's over. The consciousness comes from the physical body. Yeah. And so yeah. when the physical body dies, the consciousness is, does whatever consciousness You have no do. problem with the simulation. It's the fact that we, the, the billions to one odds that w I, Lindsay, and you, Robbie, are a simulation right now. That we're not Ex a human. Exactly. I have a problem with the idea that consciousness can come from a simulation. The consciousness, that it, right. Experience can be given to con consciousness, which is simulated experience. Yes. But the consciousness is coming from three-dimensional gross realm reality inside of time and space. That's my, that's my very strong intuition. Maybe I'm wrong. You know, there's, there's really no way of finding out, and we will probably never know until we die, and then maybe we will know. Okay, there it is. Woo! Thank you for listening. How are you doing? Good. I made it through. I'm really 
not to be like completely self-absorbed, but I'm proud of myself for making it through. <laughs> Any like wh- like yeah, I what's mean, your gestalt response to that whole sequence? The gestalt response is relief and like I get to still have my reverence for my life and 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 not in a um and I'm very pro like evolution and and advancement and the like infinite progress of technology. Like I'm very pro technology. I have no I'm not like I do not complain about technology. I don't think. Um I'm into it. I'm into us progressing. And I and I feel concerned about, you know, Carl says that thing about being human is not a failed condition. Right. Carl Bukite. That, in terms of my experience of this life, which is what I care about the most, my experience of my life, my consciousness, like, yeah, my conscious experience of this life that is, you know, quote unquote, Lindsay's feels better to me with your argument versus the argument that uh, this is a simulation. Mm -hmm. And that's what I care about the most. Yeah. So for you, you can just step into both of those realities, say the one where this is not a simulation feels better. And, and that, that does it. That works. (laughs) Yeah, and and I I think that I, I but it helps to hear it really helps to hear the assumption that they're making that that article of faith, uh huh. Like through the lens of mathematics, we're copying a brain, but we're not that we can't copy consciousness that we can't copy this like. And when I don't when I think of consciousness, I also think of like the soul and the like other thing that's going on that we can't ever explain. Right. Sure. Yes. And so, what do they do with that? They just say they don't. They don't acknowledge that. They say there's no way to prove that, so therefore we're deleting that possibility. Yeah, I mean they. I mean the the people that claim computationalism, and I I can't speak for all of them. I'm sure there are many different views of this, but they would say that there's nothing about you that is not a a product of the. Uh, flow of information in your mind nervous system being like that that's all there is and so if you can replicate that you will have replicated you in its entirety so they would not say there's some kind of soul distinct from your body and information processes mm-hmm. just kind of takes the color out of it yeah I and mean, that's how i feel just drains the color for me you gotta talk to michael pocelli here because he's the opposite He's the opposite, totally. He, for him, I mean, for me, it's it's not even like, it's true that it takes the color out of it for me if I think of like that, that we're just these kind of algorithmic entities. It does take the color out of it, but it, that's not even my argument. My argument is when I pay attention to my consciousness, it just is not something, it's not something that comes out of math, mm. like in that way. Like the guy in the room. It's real interesting. I well, you're the you're the computer programmer by day. Can math account for this much nuance? Yeah, it can. The nuance because the, the infinite because math is infinite. Yeah, so and that's so why I'm saying it can the, account for this amount of detail. Yes, if yeah, absolutely. Like that's why I'm saying the matrix might be real. 
Like we, our bodies could be somewhere else in a different reality, generating our consciousness, which is plugged into the simulated whoa, reality. Whoa, whoa, hold on. <laughs> Wait, what? What? I don't even remember the Matrix. Like, like you and I having this conversation right now. Yes, we might we be could inside be some- of a simulation. We could be in a basement reality, brains in a vat. We, our bodies might look completely different. We might be a different species. But we have to. But there has to be something in basement reality generating consciousness. And, and it could be like some alien on some other dimension. Yes. With consciousness that has created, that is able to switch into, like, plug into this experience of Lindsay and Robbie talking. Yes. But as we have only, mostly only remember being Robbie and Lindsay, we don't know what the the consciousness-bearing bodies were doing before they were Robbie and Lindsay. Maybe they were born and immediately plugged into the Robbie and Lindsay simulation, or maybe they've been in many simulations, and one of the features of the simulations is when you step in, it wipes your long-term memory of who you were before, and then you get to have... A, this is exactly the story in Rick and Morty, is he plugs in this video game, and then he has a whole life as someone else, and then he loses, he dies at some point when he's old, and then he comes back out, and he's like, whoa, whoa, and he's like remembering <laughs> his kids and his wife, and he's like, I have a wife, and it's like, no, come on, dude, like, you know. <laughs> so that, I can't find a fundamental objection to that. I think that that's... I don't think that's what's actually happening, but I can't like rule it out. But that would be a case where computers are generating all of this nuance of but experience. But now I'm confused again because doesn't that mean then then you and I are there is a possibility that we are in a simulation. There is a possibility that we're in, living in a simulation. What there isn't is a billions to one odds that we are definitely living in a simulation. I see. Cuz because to get that, you have to have hundreds of billions more simulated beings than real beings. And in in the Matrix version, you you have one-to-one simulated beings for real beings. There are no simulated beings. There are real beings having simulated experiences, right? Like Neo in the Matrix, he has a real body the whole time. And he has this whole simulated life on Earth while his real body is in a vat in, like, Future World. But there's only one... N- there's only one body per consciousness that's my claim is there's only one body per consciousness and you need a body to have consciousness and so the bostrom argument requires that you have all of these disembodied consciousnesses that are that you can simulate at kind of at huge numbers greater than uh than there are real bodied consciousnesses got it and that's the problem with the techno rapture is that they think that they are gonna they think that this body and this consciousness can actually go to another reality. Yes. And the body dies, but the consciousness and, remains. Right. Well, <laughs> thanks, thanks for listening, everybody. I hope, I hope that somebody made it to the end of that. <laughs> um, it's just some of the most fascinating stuff in the world to me. And, uh, yeah, I would love to hear if people have questions, if people have counter-arguments. Like, I love arguing this stuff. Um, yeah, please be in touch. With Robbie. With Robbie. Lynn does not want to hear about your questions or arguments. <laughs> I'm going go to go back to researching tea. Um, I might read some of those books, but it's interesting. It's interesting to me. Any, anyone that gets real absolute about something, though, that, that like takes the color out kind of worries me. But anyway, that's good. Okay. Well, I definitely 
This adds, like, this just filled out way more of that little sentence that Kelly texted me. Yes. Wow. How do you feel after doing that whole thing? Tired. Yeah. Okay, good. So you're a human. Yes. That's Well, as far as we can tell. <laughs> okay, thank you. Take care, guys. Um, have you seen the Seinfeld where they talk about the big salad? No. There's a whole episode about Elaine um, wanting a big salad. And like there's this one place that has the big salad, but she doesn't want to go there anymore. And she can't find a big salad anywhere else she goes. And it's actually like totally accurate problem, a description of a problem in our culture where we're like, it's hard to find a good priced, good salad. Yeah, big salad. I told you, yeah, as you were describing it, I'm like, as you were describing it, I'm like, yep, I, yep, I've had that experience. What is that? There's so many health food stores. There's so many smoothie places. Why can we not get the salads dialed? Like, how is there not like a, the Starbucks of salads? You know why? It's God's way of telling you to stay home and fucking put some salads, some leaves in a bowl <laughs> yourself. And don't pay someone like $20 for it. See, now you're talking about God talking to you after one, yeah. ep- one little uh, <laughs> episode with Lens.